sometimes I just got so stuck writing it because I wanted to craft it perfectly. Um, I spoke to a brilliant friend of mine, um, Tim Dam, who's a writer for children's television. And he said to me the best advice I heard ever. And he was like, just make it exist. You meet a lot of people as a parent, right? Because you mm. go to all these classes and parties and, and and sometimes people look at me and say, oh, where do I know you from? Oh, you're the internet lady. And I'm like, oh, right, that's where you know me yeah, from. Yeah. So, yeah, I have many awkward interactions. Which, I mean, I think... could sound terrible at a parent's night, couldn't it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're the internet lady. You don't want yeah. any teacher hearing that. <laughs> people have shouted that to me on the street. Oh, the lady from the internet. <laughs> I wrote little backstories for each of them, even though you'll never see that in the book. I wrote them out like a real like bio of who they are, who their parents or family are, you know, what they are into, what they like. And I base them on children that I know so that they're totally different. You know, they're all different characters. Welcome to Bestsellers. I'm Natalie Jameson. And I'm Bob Fleming. I can't oh, believe oh, how long it's hanging around for. I know. It's not good, right? It's bit fluttery. Like Ten days now, and I've just been grateful that I've got a mute button on this microphone to spare you from all the. <laughs> <laughs> on the plus side, I can now pronounce every place in Wales. <laughs> oh, great! Um, my best friend, who happens to be Welsh, will be thrilled. Uh, so this week, you have brought a book to the table which I was not particularly aware of because I think unless you have kids of a certain age, maybe you are not familiar with the brilliant work of Daisy Upton. Yeah, so Daisy Upton is known on socials as Five Minute Mum, and um, she puts loads of great viral videos up on Insta, especially, which is like, have you tried this? What about this game? And she's got a background as a classroom assistant. So it's not just, um, not that there's anything wrong with this, but it's, what I'm trying to say is, it's coming from a place of qualification. That's what I'm trying to say, rather than denigrating any other parenting. It's, um, you know, she's spent years in classrooms trying to work out, okay, so that kid's a bit more hyperactive than that kid. So how do I get the message across to that one? Or that one's very quiet and just wants to sit on their own. So how do I get them to join in with the game? And everything that she does is founded in knowledge of the classroom and knowledge of children's personalities. And I think that's why it works. And when you hear this podcast and you hear how she wrote this latest book, which is aimed at kids rather than aiming at parents, you'll know that she's properly road tested every element of it. She has. And I would say, even if you don't have young kids in your life right now, mine are older, um, uh, I found I learned so much in this conversation. I, there was just so much about the way that uh, publishing for children's books works. There's also some great cocktail chat um stay tuned for that towards the end uh love yeah, a no, good i think cocktail. if she wasn't doing this i think she'd be a brilliant <laughs> psychologist don't you there's a lot yeah. of psychology in this there is it's it's really interesting and um gotta be honest not what i was expecting at all i don't think um i really enjoyed the time with daisy and i hope you do too so here is phil to introduce her properly something slightly different for you on this episode of bestsellers uh but somebody that we love very much who you all know on your socials as five minute mum daisy upton is on book number four and uh, a huge star in our household i have to say uh because a lot of daisy's uh, advice in these books um their parenting books apart from this one which is kind of also aimed at, at your preschool child as well uh, but they're full of games and ideas and simple things to do so that you know those days if you've got kids you will have had a day like this where you go, oh, for f- what the- ah. right? If you've had one of those days. I mean, just one of those. <laughs> Are you joking? <laughs> <laughs> then um, Five Minute Mom is your saviour because some of the tips in here are so simple. They're quite psychologically advanced, like Fergie Mind Games advanced. And <laughs> before you know it, you've tricked your kids into s- stopping what they were doing, i.e. breaking each other or you or your house, and playing a game on the floor with you. So I'm really delighted to be able to introduce you to Daisy Upton, who is the five-minute mum. And that's where the moniker comes from, right? We should start there. For those who are Mm -hmm. unfamiliar with you, the five-minute mum moniker is because your one of your mantras is none of these games should take more than five minutes. Exactly, yes. I'm, at heart, a very lazy person. (laughs) And when it came to parenting, I was the same. I wanted to do all the things that you're meant to do, you know, help support their development and read to them and da-da-da-da-da. But I was very, very tired. <laughs> I had two little toddlers at home and I was a full-time stay-at-home mum when they were little and it had to be quick and easy. And I'd sort of 
seen all these things on Pinterest and it was like, you know, turn your dining table upside down and put cling film around it and then they can paint on it. And I thought, what on earth? Who's 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 got time to do that? Like, <laughs> I, I don't even have time to like go to the loo in peace or flick the kettle on quickly. Like, how am I going to have time with those yeah. kids running around to do an activity like that? So I was like, right, I've got training background, um, being a teaching assistant, working across early years with children. How can I hack some of those ideas at home and make them short, sharp, sweet, but still really impactful so you can feel great afterwards and think, oh, do you know what? We actually achieved something there. We actually did something that ticked off one of those development things. And I haven't had to wreck me or my house to do it. <laughs> That's the other thing about some of these ideas, isn't it? That um, I saw one that said, create one wall in your house that the kids can draw on. I'm like, no. <laughs> No, I'm not going to do that. Surely yeah. that's sending a message. It's okay to draw on walls. Isn't it? And unless you're telling me that I've got the next Banksy in my house, that's not going to be a thing. It's just the effort of doing that. Like, how? Where? Who's got a spare wall in their house? I don't know about you, but there's stuff stacked up against every single one of mine anyway. So, like, what? Who, who are these people that have got spare walls that you know, dedicate that to some sort of play? <laughs> yeah, but I also really like, so we were just saying before we started recording, my kids are a bit out of this zone now because they're 14 and newly 10. Um, but I kind of love the five minute thing too, which I know people have said to you loads already, Daisy, but I think that just, automatically alleviate some of that pressure that you feel as parents that it's going to take even more time that you already feel like you don't have and so yeah. just breaking it down into those five minute things suddenly just all that kind of tension dissipates it's so clever yeah and that's the thing isn't it as parents we have to get down for for ages and play you know like an hour-long game of barbies with them or tr trucks and toys you know and it's really boring. Like, as an actor, <laughs> I don't want to do that. Like, oh, I feel like, oh, you want to scream. I've got a degree. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to do this. Um, so, so if we can instead cut it to five, do a something five minutes that you really want to do as well, your, your kids will feed off of that. And you'll think, I can give this energy to them because I know it's going to be short and sweet. Um, and so you don't then get to that point where you're absolutely brought out of your mind and then they'll pick up on that. And then it's not, a, you know, it's not a great connection or a great use of your time together as, as parent and child. So, yeah. I think that's, that's really key as well, though, because uh, my mum always listens to these podcasts and I'm sure that she will be nodding along as I say this, but there's this notion, isn't there, that I get that, of course, it's great to play with your kids um, and that's a lovely thing to do, but that's assuming that everybody plays in the same way. And I'm pretty sure that as a kid, I didn't always play in that kind of very um, unorganised way. I think I always had a really big imagination, but I would always probably boss people around or sort of <laughs> already be taking on some of those like, no, this is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to do it. And uh, it's that kind of I, I just kind of, again, love that idea that you you recognise that there are so many things we're told as parents or, you know, even if you have, you're not a parent, but you've got kids in your life, that so this is the way to do it or this is how you should be having fun. And it doesn't have to be like that. Absolutely not. And, and kids will pick up on that. And it, it has to be fun for you, too. And that's yeah. why I've done so many five minute games, because I've tried to cover off every type of player, every type of child. What are they into? What are they interested in? And every type of parent. So for me as a parent, I love sport and competitive games. So a lot of the stuff I used to set up for the kids was like, you know, it would be a little mini competition and we'd run back and forth and there'd be like a winner sometimes and I'd let them win occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> just occasionally and uh, you know well, we'd make it a little bit about that so because I then got something out of it too I enjoyed it and we'd laugh and it would be fun and um, and so the more access you have to all those different types of ideas and if they can be that you can just grab something off the side you can grab a ball and play it you can grab a spatula from your kitchen and play then hopefully everybody can get can access that play in a way that suits them and their brain and how it works and what brings them joy well, you'll be pleased to know that, as we always do in our house with your books, I've road tested it, okay? <laughs> because our, our four-year-old starts school in September, so he's perfect oh, yeah. for this. Well, he's my first child reader. Okay, great. So I'll tell you what his feedback was. Um, some of the games, he said, oh, I've already played that at school because he's at preschool, right? Yeah. And that's the difference between him and our eldest. Our eldest did nursery Whereas because he's done preschool, he's going to the school where he's at the preschool. So he's doing two and a half yeah. days. He'll go to five days. The teacher's already said to us, a parent, like, that's the best prep for him mm -hmm. because they run it like school, but it's part-time. So um, there was one game um, 
to do with your, I think it's to do with your name, isn't it? Spelling your name yeah. out. And he said, well, I can already do that. And then um, my wife said to him, ah, well, then the book says, if you find it too easy to you remove a letter and hide it and you have to find the missing letter. Oh, he went, oh, oh, right, let's do that when I get home today. So that's that's what we're going to do this <laughs> afternoon. So in a way, I just wanted you to know that because it must be quite difficult for you to compose a book like this and to know, well, has it hit the right audience that you want it to hit? Because this is the first one that you've done that is kind of aimed at the kids as well, isn't it? That's right, yeah. So this one is is a children's book, which is really nice because um, all my others have been sort of directed for the adults to read, although a lot of children actually do flick through them and pick the games out themselves. Which yeah, are anticipated. Yeah, which is lovely to see, actually. Um, and they sort of have favourites and they'll flick to them. But um, this one is, so I've written it specifically for the children. And like you say, I always try to sort of add a variation on on those games. So some children, they, they won't have learned how to mm. recognise their name yet. So that hopefully will be a little prompt to maybe play those games and start trying it and then for children like your little one maybe you can do a surname next or you know mummy's mm, mm. name or daddy's name and and you can just sort of keep, keep pushing that development as and when they're ready for it and I, I hope that's what always comes to like you say hide the letter and all of a sudden it's a new game to them because we forget they're very little they don't haven't experienced the whole world so just those tiny little changes can be exciting to them and and that's you know that's what it's all about it doesn't have to be a big great big effort so I'm really I, pleased to hear that I don't know about you Nat but I was reading this thinking I wonder if Daisy's ever done radio production because like, <laughs> we constantly need new games to play on air don't we yeah. do you know what I mean and these are like how hard is it for you to keep inventing new games or are these variations on a theme um I I'm just sort of I'm really good if someone comes to me so if my child has they're struggling with something or they're stuck on something that's when my brain goes into overdrive I'm like okay how many ways can we do this to make it different and exciting and fun and you know that used to be my job in the classroom so mm. all I'd often do is the teacher would teach the whole class some some concept to do with you know fractions say and it would be the my job as a teaching assistant to work with the children who perhaps haven't quite grasped that within the mainstream setting and I'd take them out and then I'd have to think on my feet right these kids didn't get it that way so what other ways can we do this to help them maybe understand it and you know if I had a group of physical children I'd be thinking right well how can we jump and run and throw and do something physical that helps them understand this or if I had the ones who are particularly shy and quiet perhaps we could do something um you know reading and sitting and writing together that would help them understand it come up with a little story instead that might help them understand it and so that's where my brain works best it's sort of when I'm faced with a challenge and and luckily with kids you've always got a challenge <laughs> they've always got something they're throwing at always. you always yeah exactly so that's sort of how my brain comes up with it really and and do you know what I, I would always I've talked about this before I'd love to do like um a game show for kids or yeah like something mm. like that because I can just think of millions of different versions of it and I, I would just yeah I'd love to do something like that that would be great I want to explore that a bit more in a second, but just to talk about, so the book is, it's called Starting School. I've got it here and it's illustrated by McKinsey Records. Is that how you say it? Yes. Um, yes. Which made me laugh because both of my kids are wreckers. (laughs) (laughs) And it sort of takes every aspect of the school day. So how you get to school, what happens when you arrive at school, what you eat, who the teachers are, what they do, what the kind of role of everybody is in and, and lays it out in a really really easy to follow format and I didn't have this before my kids started school but I know they would have found this so useful and I would have found it really useful as well because I think it's yeah. also you know as, as we were sort of saying when you have kids and you know you're time pressured and you're stressed and you're tired and you've got other work commitments and all those things you kind of it's quite difficult sometimes to switch into exactly what your kids might be feeling and this just sort of reminds you that oh actually it is a big thing that it's not just kind of you feeling strange, leaving them in a new environment. It's they're going in, they don't know how it's going to work. And that's a really massive thing, like for any mm. of us, like, you know, if you're starting a new job or anything. So I kind of love this expansiveness you've got into this. And also <laughs> there was one of them. Um, so the the wheel, here it is, the wheel of the week. This yes. I found really useful. <laughs> for you, you mean? For you as an adult. Just because it's that thing like, you know, do you ever get out of that like Sunday-itis? Do you know what I mean? Like just that feeling. And it's just really nice to kind of, it's like, oh yeah, it's like a, it's a wheel. There are seven things. You've kind of split it into like seven pieces of pie and it just makes it all a bit more manageable. It's, it's, did you, the sort of psychology of this, is that something that you've delved into much? So for me, I, having worked in classrooms and with children, I sort of, 
I understand the questions that come from them and the things that they find difficult. And often it, the first, you know, when I worked in reception class, it was, oh, we've done school now. We've done, we've done a week. Yeah, like that's, that's I've completed it. Yeah, I've done it. And, <laughs> yeah, that's how they feel. And so I wanted to help them understand that really early on, that this was the cycle. And then next to the, the wheel of the week, the next page is about the school year. So it's like the whole year mapped out and they can kind of follow it with their finger and see where they are on that on that map of the year so they understand that concept of this is going to continue and here's what it will help them to visualize it because it's a really big concept isn't it like time for them to understand Mm. what two hours is let alone you know a week or a weekend and then you're going to be doing this until you're 18 (laughs) enjoy I know I was being so mean isn't it when I've done that first term and they're like yeah you've got a holiday you've done it and you're like oh no this is you now set for so many years but I wanted that those are the questions that always came up and I felt like I wanted to tackle them all now so that they can and it's a book that I hope they can dip in and out through the year so as things comes up there might be problems about you know yeah that sort of thing those those sort of questions you can refer back to the book and go well let's have a look at this again and we can see how we can understand that and so that's what I hope it is isn't just useful for preparing them to start but also through that first year where it all seems quite overwhelming and confusing. Um, Natalie mentioned the illustrator is that a first time collab or have you remind me have you worked with her before? No, I haven't worked with McKinsey before. I've worked with um, another illustrator, Katie Kirby, on my third book. She illustrated um, some funny little cartoons because it's about traveling with kids and being on the go. So there were lots of sort of sarcastic yeah. mummy and daddy looking very annoyed cartoons in it um, to really reflect the reality. And uh, this, but this book we wanted the children to really come to life. So my brief to the publisher was, I want this book to really reflect an actual modern day primary school. So I don't want apples on teacher's desks and Mm. chalkboards and Mm. cutesy animals. Mm. That's not what the children are going to find when they go into a modern day primary. They're going to find smart boards and phonics and all these things that, uh, you know, aren't often reflected in those starting school books, actually. So I I was very specific to... um, I was working with Ladybird under mm. Penguin Random House for this. Uh, that, that's what I wanted. So they went out and sourced different um, illustrators and McKinsey's one when she came back. I really loved how the children looked because they looked like they would appeal to kids. They're very vibrant and and sort of but and realistic enough that they're still sort of fun and cute as well. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I really loved her drawings and she was great to work with. We had Did you have of... to get a few before you decided on her? Do you know, do you, how does it work? Are you kind of like auditioning for, for illustrators? <laughs> Luckily, it's not me that has to do that. I don't have to be like the Simon Cowell of the... Uh, right. That's, the what I think, yeah, that's what was in my head when I was asked the question. <laughs> <laughs> get them all to come on. No, luckily the publishers kind of just send you sort of sample artwork from a few and then you say the ones you like and then they get in touch with the ones that and say, uh, is their schedule free? Because lots of them schedules aren't free because obviously it takes a good... Yeah. six months or so if not more to, right. to write a book like this um yeah and uh McKinsey was my favorite one and she happened to be free so we just it was it was quite straightforward I wanted to ask about your own writing ambitions because I know you've got the school background and uh, working in schools was kind of writing always in the back of your head was this something that you always hoped you would do and is there like a next step that you want to take this on to yeah it's something I have always wanted to do and when my first book came out it was a huge sort of bucket list moment where I was like oh my god I've actually I've actually done it (laughs) I've written a book um I was a writer as a child I wrote poetry and stories and I did my degree was um I wanted to be a sports writer so I did sports science and English as my degree is like a joint degree and I took a creative writing module within it and you know that was always my thing and then yeah I went into a career in sports journalism and sports broadcasting and sort of took me away from writing entirely because I was working on television and stuff um so when the opportunity came up to uh the literary agent got in touch when I started I think what was really nice for me was that when I started writing the blog it was a a creative outlet at a time when I had a one and a three-year-old and although I was doing like the games for them it wasn't for them it was for me because I was at home all day as a stay-at-home parent and then in the evenings I put them to bed and sit down with a cup of tea and I would write and I would really enjoy the way of creating those blogs to make them interesting and fun and short because I had to make them you know readable in five minutes um and I really liked that process and I knew that 
I was kind of going back to something I'd always really enjoyed. And so when the literary agent got in touch with me, I was like, oh, this would be a dream come true if it happened. I was in a in a park, as you always are with your kids, and pushing them on the swings. And I got this text through saying, I think, you know, you, your book worthy. I'd like to take your book to an, a publisher. And I was like giddy in this park wanting to scream and shout so I was pushing my child more enthusiastically on the swing and going, oh my god it might happen this might happen um and then obviously it happened so gradually you never really get that point where you can really celebrate until that book yeah. is in your hands and it's publication day so it's something I've always really wanted to do and I'm thrilled that I get to do it now as a job um this is my first children's book it's harder than you think I was about to say like I think there's that misconception that oh like I mean there's enough people right who go like oh I could totally write a book and then there's probably even more people who go like oh I could totally write a kid's book because mm. they're like really <laughs> short and you know we can totally do that but I know from following other uh, kids authors and things online and stuff that it's it's really challenging so what was what surprised you about the that kind of extra added layer of difficulty maybe in doing this yeah, it was fascinating because the adults ones I just write like a stream of consciousness and then I can edit it down but with this one, I was so conscious of getting it right and it for it to to speak to the children. So I wanted to talk to them the way that I would talk when I was teaching, but not in a patronising way. But I also still wanted the parent to not feel like this was one of those books that you think, oh, God, they've chosen that one to read again. <laughs> we all have them. Well, We've all been there. Yeah. You're like, oh, you kind of like move things around. You're like, no, 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 <laughs> take, uh, take the other one because the other one's got this rhyme Anything in it that, that drives me insane. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. And I just really hope my book's never that one. So I wanted some <laughs> little comedy bits in it and bits and pieces that parents would recognise. You know, there's a bit about parents sewing a World Book Day costume and the child has changed their mind about what they want to be. But, you know, I yeah. wanted there to be things in there. So I think because I put that pressure on myself, I just couldn't. Sometimes I just got so stuck writing it because I wanted to craft it perfectly. Um, I spoke to a brilliant friend of mine, um, Tim Dam, who's a writer for children's television. and he said to me the best advice I heard ever and he was like just make it exist mm. he was like it doesn't have to be anything he was like just make it exist and that was what I did and actually um, once I did that and I just was like just make it make it a thing and then we can craft it and work on it um, after that then and then it was fine after that and I wrote it and actually it had a lot less edits to do because there's a lot less <laughs> words. So I used to get my edits back from my adult books and it would be like two or three months of work going back through them all, recrafting mm. some chapters. And this was like, can you rework this sentence? Yeah. And anything else? Oh, maybe there's another <laughs> one on page four to look at. Okay. But otherwise we'll just wait for the illustration. I was like, all right. So it's like 20 minutes of work to do. So that was great. I was like, oh, this I'm on, I'm on to this one. So yeah, I think children's books, definitely more of those in the future because the edit time was so much faster. But actually making it exist was quite was quite challenging for me to get it, to make sure I get it right. And, and, and just to mind me pursuing that a bit more, when, when he says make it exist, hmm. what do you, how did you interpret that? So he was like, just just write down what you want what you what you want so if I was so I knew that I wanted a page on um lunch times at school right. so he was like just write out they're going to have dinner they're going yeah. to have lunch what could be in their lunch so like, just make it make the words down on the paper in the most simplest form and make it a thing and then you can craft each bit around that so he's like, just get it down on paper and then come back to it later because you know right, it already exists and you're yeah, working yeah. And on that rather than it all being in your head and thinking mm. it needs to come out perfectly. It needs to come out in a way that a child's going to love it. Um, and I think that's what I was doing. So, yeah, that's what I started to do. And he was right because the second I started to do that, then the other stuff comes. Mm. But I think when you, you get stuck, when you're trying to make the other stuff happen before, it's that sort of run yeah. before you can walk thing, isn't it? Just just make, write the sentence, write they're going to go to lunch. And then you can then figure out, okay, how can we make that sound more interesting to a child? What you're going to do is you're going to walk down the corridor and you're going to go to a big hall and da da da, and then you kind of work it back from there. But actually, with the children's book, a lot of it comes from the illustration, and that's why I was really keen for McKinsey to get such a big sort of <laughs> her name on the front and all those sorts of things. You get to choose as an author, um, and some authors I, I think don't sort of make their illustrators quite as prominent. Or you can choose how oh, you do right. that. Um, and I very much wanted her bio in the cover, same as my bio. And because I feel like 
it was from her idea some of her ideas as an illustrator that I then wrote wrote around those ideas so she would have a picture I thought oh that's really cute and let's write a piece about that about how that friendship's formed or how that problem solved and and so yeah it's very much a collaborative piece of work. Would McKinsey send back sort of each section as she did it so you could kind of have that as it went on or was it kind of back at you as a whole book? So the first thing was I wrote the book and then I write an illustrator's description so what I want on each page or how I sort of picture it and I also did some terrible sketches. Did you do like stick figures yeah. like yes. you can maybe look like this? Yeah the cover. An illustrator must get and me. be like okay sure yeah exactly yeah she was uh-huh. yeah right okay and so yeah I was like sketching out this is how I see the page or this is how like at one point I talk about the word assembly which I think for little kids we forget that, that that's a new word they don't know what yeah. assembly means and so I wanted to make that a, a thing so I wanted it to be like it's like an ass which is the donkey but you know you and I know it's something else as well. <laughs> and uh, a belly ass belly it sounds a bit like that is that is this what it looks like and so I wanted a picture of a donkey with a great big belly <laughs> so explaining that to an illustrator she's like what <laughs> I'm like I know what I mean in my head so I'm going to draw it out for you <laughs> but trying to draw a donkey is quite hard and yeah it was a dreadful idea but she completely got it and drew me a brilliant um, donkey with a big belly which is it which is in the book I can't remember what page and um so you kind of do that as a whole she then comes back with the first sketches so it's all her work sketched in in like just mm-hmm. pencil drawn and you go through the whole bit so that I was in and out of the office quite a lot in at Penguin because I prefer to sit in a room for the whole day and just go each by each page with my team of editors and other people and we just go through discussing each thing I'd then rewrite some of my edits and then McKinsey would go back and redraw some of it and then you kind of do that again and then you do it again and then you kind of get into the colour colour bits when you're into the final nitpicky little bits and you go through it again. But sometimes you'll pull out a page and say this whole page needs to be reworked. So she'll just send back a page saying, is this what you meant? But well, she's not here, is she? So was she ever in that room with you? No, never. No, she was in, in America. So, yeah, we would go through and what you do is you mark it up. So it'd be on the big screen and we'd write our markup notes on the side and then that whole thing would go back but oh, i had a designer in the room with me so she designs the book right she puts the illustrations and the text in the right places on the page and mckinsey's drawing the illustrations that go into it so it's, it's a big team of people that goes into wow. it um, and the designer was in the room so she would then directly talk to mckinsey and say this is what she means this is what this is what that note means and sort of and do that work on a daily basis um but yeah we would kind of go through it and I would have all my notes scribbled on a bit of paper because I still work. I'm really old-fashioned. I like to print the book out and write it in pen, <laughs> and whereas I think everybody else works on their computers and they do all their markups on screen. But I just I just can't seem to get a concept and a feel for it if I do that. I'd much rather have it on the page, and then I can read the words really nicely, and I can scribble all my own. Well, and also, especially with a book like this, that's how we're going to use it. I mean, sometimes mm-hmm. Nat and I speak to authors, and, and I'll have read it on a tablet, you'll have read it on a Kindle or whatever, won't you? But not with with this. It's one of those books that it's meant yeah. to be tactile and it needs to be touched. And the kids uh, this morning at breakfast were all over it and they wanted really? to, hang on, let me see that bit. I want to see, you know what I mean? And that's exactly. that's how eventually it's how it's going to be used. So that's how it should be designed, perhaps. Exactly. It should be flicked backwards and forwards between and go, you know, flick over the pages and, and yeah, like you say, point, thing, point things out on the page. They want very much, yeah, a tactile book. Are there any... Um... Uh, like knows that we may not be aware of in children's publishing that you also weren't aware of when you were then writing a book for good like some 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 things that you just couldn't do or that are kind of against any rules or something that just doesn't really translate for kids um not that I came across but I think perhaps if you hadn't worked with children then you Mm -hmm. might find that I think because I've worked so closely within classrooms then those are already in place when you're teaching there is certain things you know not to say and not to discuss or not to you know that's what's appropriate for this kind of age you have that good which is what makes it easier for me I think as somebody who's worked in that environment um there are things you have to really consider um carefully which is which I hadn't thought about and it was sort of like who's talking to who and why do you always want for example the male characters to be with the speech bubbles and you might accidentally Mm -hmm. do that and it would be like you have to really consider who's speaking and what they're saying and who's the responder and and how you're going to lay that out so that because you want the book to you know represent a fair and diverse and equal society and we want it to show 
I want every child to feel seen and to feel part of it. And you have to really consider all of those little details, I think. That was what really surprised me and, and to make sure you get those right. And that's what's so brilliant about working with Penguin is that they are brilliant at that. And they have teams of people that are there to do that and so they will read your book for you and come back with notes and say have you considered this have you considered that and then it makes you sort of question again and go right let's let's really dig into this and make sure that we're trying to get it get it as good as it possibly can be so yeah some of the stuff you have to think about and you just was like wow I haven't yeah I hadn't considered hadn't even looked at the page and thought who's speaking I just you know you just lay it out thinking oh it looks looks cute and then you look at the children and you're like okay yeah it's actually quite important yeah but in most of them I mean, I was only flicking through this last night with the kids and this morning, but in most of them, it seems to be individual bursts of dialogue on the page. Yes. So, so they're all represented rather than, it's not like you've got, to, say, five kids on a page, only two are talking. That That's not my recollection of what I saw. No, there's lot. I've given lots of them voices. So, that, yeah. yeah, there's lots of children speaking and you can hear all their different... There are five main characters through the book who um, sort of yes. lead you through as like the little friends of they started school last year and so the idea is they're kind of peers to your child and the children always look up to the kids that are older than them so it, they're sort of guiding you through the book but no there's little quippy tip chat throughout from from all kinds of teachers parents and all the different children and I, I hope that's yeah like that's why I like it to be dipping it out of so kids could just read the as yeah. they learn to read and you know they might be able to spot little words or read little speech bubbles. but those five allow you to reflect all the different um emotions that the kids might be having as well like they're from oh that's too easy to oh i'm a bit frightened of this or yay you know and exuberance there's kind of every emotion that i've seen in my two mm-hmm. is reflected on the page yeah and that's why i did five characters as well because and i wrote little backstories for each of them even though you'll never see that in the book i right. wrote them out like a real like bio of who they are who their parents or family are you know what they are into what they like and I base them on children that I know so that they're totally different, you know, they're all different characters and they have different challenges, different things that really they love to do and excited by different things they find really boring. And, you know, there are bits in there where I find this boring and that's important because they will find that. And yeah, like one of the little characters is my friend's little girl and she really loves her cat, so I had to get that in there. And, you know, I just try to base them on real, real human children that I know so that, so that um it feels it feels real should we hear a bit mm. um, because i know sometimes when it's non-fiction um we can't quite do that but we can with your book so daisy's going to read us a short <laughs> excerpt from it and this will give you um a feel really for the tone and the pitch of the book so i've chosen to read um the page called hi new friends because i think lots of people have asked me is this relevant for my child like you say they've been to preschool or they've done this and I think this is one of those pages that is relevant for any child and and hopefully would help them and it's one of the things that we worry the most about as parents but it's called high new friends meeting new people can be exciting and it can also sometimes feel a bit scary but don't worry there's a little question that you can ask that will make everything feel easier and it's what's your name if you find out the other person's name and they find out yours, you can start getting to know each other. And there was a little drawing of a little girl saying, what's your name? Everybody in your class will be different from each other. They will look different. They may sound different or speak another language. They will all have different likes and dislikes, but they will all also have one thing in common. They will want to make new friends too. Sometimes making new friends doesn't happen straight away, and that's okay. You can get to know everyone in your own time. Some classes have 30 children in them, and that is a lot of people to get to know. And then we've got three little children who are talking um, in little groups of friends. The first one says, I already had a friend when I started school because a girl from my nursery was in my class too. We asked other children to play with us, and then we made even more friends. And then a little boy over here, Felix, is saying, my favourite thing to do in the classroom is play with the construction blocks. Mei-Ling also liked the blocks best, so we started building towers together and now she is my friend. And the lo- little bottom bit is a group of children who are making paper dolls and they say, we made some paper dolls and they are friends. Lovely. I do like that illustration very much. And I also really liked the way you presented um, Felix playing with mailing and she also wanted the block so then we just played together and made friends and I'm like <laughs> I, I also like the version where there's probably like so then I threw a block at mailing and <laughs> yeah. said no she can't have the block yeah, because yeah, they're yeah. mine 
we want the same block. There's 20 blocks, but we just want this one. This one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Daisy, who's Zoe? Um, Zoe is the book is dedicated for Zoe and all the other children who want to be at school but can't be. So Zoe is um, a little girl. When I first started doing Five Minute Mum, I used to get sent, and I still get sent, loads and loads of pictures and videos of children playing my games, which is always wonderful. And Zoe's mum, Carmel, sent me a picture of Zoe playing my games, um, but she was in hospital. uh, with She had a a brain tumour and she had no hair and a feeding tube, so her picture really sort of stood out to me straight away. And I just got chatting to Carmel and and she talked to me about the journey and process of of Zoe getting poorly and what happened so far and about uh at the time we were just chatting about her playing the games and then when my first book came out I sent a copy to to Zoe saying you know I hope this helps for you to play in hospital and you take the games with you wherever you go um and she then about two weeks after my book came out they were told this awful horrendous news that she wouldn't recover and she died that July. And Carmel has shared her whole journey and process on social media. And that included her death. And Carmel and I are still friends now. We talk on social media all the time. She has two other daughters who also play my games. And Carmel's a teacher herself. And when I was growing up, I had a friend, a child, a little boy who lived on our road who um, died of leukemia. And we watched as he could and couldn't go to school at various times. We've been in and out of hospital. And sadly, uh, a little boy that we know now is in the same position. So I'm very aware of the fact that there are lots of children out there in hospital who want to be in school and would give anything to be going to start school that day. And so I wanted to make sure they were represented in the book and also to dedicate this to Zoe and her amazing family because... She was just such a, a brilliant, wonderful little girl. And she would have been such good friends with my daughter. She was into the same sorts of things. And life can just be so cruel and unkind sometimes. So for me to be able to do this for Carmel and, and the family to dedicate it to her was was a, a, a nice thing to be able to do. And I feel very grateful that I could do it. I guess it's one of those... We hear so many negative things about social media, but actually some of those connections that can be made are truly life enhancing so obviously it's a horrendous situation but it must be really um helpful I think to know that there are other people out there that you you, you can share this with and you can just kind of spread a different way of looking at books and stories and how we talk and process some of these, these things mm. and I think that you know for Carmel that was part of it was that she could talk about Zoe's what the family had been through um and support other families who are going through the same thing and people could turn to her if they were unsure um but also connect with like mind like Carmel and I very similar we both mm. like a glass of wine and some chocolate we both like chatting about normal fun things about our kids that make us laugh and drive us crazy and and I'm sure if we live nearer she lives in Ireland if we live nearer to each other we we would be great friends and we never would have met otherwise so it's nice to feel like you have a like-minded friend somewhere in the world out there on, on social media. And when I started Instagram, I mean, it's a different place now, social media, but it was very much like that. And I built a community of people very quickly who were like-minded parents. And I feel very lucky that I was doing it at that time because I still have all those people in my life. And when you That's say it's a different cool. place, different how? Because of the way that it's... When I when I started Instagram, it was just Instagram. Then it got sort of bought by, uh, is it Meta or Facebook? Mm-hmm. Or and it, it it's just turned into this big commercial machine. And you know, it the you used to get seen by people on social media because they they followed you. <laughs> they would only be ever the people that followed you that saw your stuff and had showed an interest in you. And it would come up in a chronological order. It doesn't do that anymore. It comes up in the order of popularity and likes and, and clicks and watch time on videos. And so then you you don't get seen by everybody that follows you, which is, is a real shame because it, it stops that familiarity that you begin to build up when you see people that you follow and you can create curate your own feed of like interests and now you sort of see a bit of those but then you see all this other stuff that you haven't followed and you haven't looked to see and it sort of means that you don't get to build those connections and I think if I was coming into it now 
I'd feel very differently about it. Whereas back then it felt very much a community based, you know, I found other play accounts almost instantly. And I think you would find that really hard to do now. Uh, not wishing to be crass about what these platforms can bring. I wonder if there's been what the um, reflection has been like in real life in that, you know, you're probably like a rock star, right? To some <laughs> kids and parents in terms of... She's a rock star in our house, 100%. Exactly. 100%. So I wonder what it must be like, you know, if you turn up to like a kid's party or those kind of... I'm sure your friends are totally cool and fine. But, you know, sometimes they're, it's kind of weird interacting with other parents at the school gates so you don't know that well or if they then hear that you're like the five-minute mum. Has there been any kind of just weirdness around that? Oh, it's very awkward because... You meet a lot of people as a parent, right? Because you mm. go to all these classes and parties and, and and sometimes people look at me and say, oh, where do I know you from? And I think, well, <laughs> I, I'm, I don't know because maybe it's five minute mom, but I don't want to be that person that goes, oh, it's because you know me on the internet. I'm this, um, so I'm like, is it a swimming lesson? Is it from a toddler group I went to years ago? Is it somebody I went to school with? Um, and so you always get this really like tricky a conversation and then sometimes they go oh you're the internet lady and I'm like oh right that's where you know yeah, yeah. so yeah I have many awkward interactions which I mean I think... could sound terrible at a parent's night couldn't it <laughs> yeah. oh you're the internet lady you don't want yeah. any teacher hearing that <laughs> people have shouted that to me on the street oh, lady from the internet. uh yeah I do a blog yeah yeah exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> not to be, yeah um yeah and I think I must be incredibly disappointing to me in real life I mean you just see a highlights reel don't you on Instagram and social media it's just the best bit you don't share with normality and I think yeah I'm I'm, uh, I'm not that fun or exciting in real life really I'm just a, a normal mum and people must see me all the time out shouting at my kids and doing all the normal stuff we're doing I just think they must think oh she's not what she looks like <laughs> but you do reflect that online as well because I like how in your post there was one recently where you kind of went to the bluebell woods and you're like this was lovely but actually we were tired we were hungry it took forever to get there like my feet were wet all those kind of things you do put that in there as well yeah, I've I've always maintained that that it has to be a strong sense of ideas and play and activities, yes, but reality also because nobody wants that you know shoved down their throat that this is that someone that you're some perfect parent who's playing all the time and getting it all right because nobody is absolutely nobody. If I could write a book on how to do that, then you know sell a million mm-hmm. copies, but it just doesn't exist. And I think it makes it makes me feel better when I hear it from other people online that you know where their days of not worked out as planned and you think oh great because you know that happened to me too and it makes me feel a bit better that um you know sometimes it goes right sometimes it goes wrong and that's we tried to do a parenting slot on one of my radio shows and it failed Mm. and the reason it failed i thought was because nobody wants to admit they're struggling so we all Mm. struggle but nobody wants to call into a radio station and go yeah i'm constantly struggling at the moment blah blah can anyone help and then you get the other type of parents at the school go so you know what you should do and they tell you but that might work for their child, but it won't work for yours. Even with my own, what worked, I, we had one. I thought, I've got this crack now. And then when child <laughs> two came along, I'm like, hang on, he's not responding to any of my tricks. What's going on? Why aren't you responding to work with child one? So even yeah. within your own family, that you can't. there's not a one-size-fits-all is what I'm saying. So it's quite difficult then as a, as a topic, I think, to go, let's do parenting. Because nobody wants to be the first one to put their hand up and go, yeah, I'm finding it hard. Yeah, and because you, we've all got this terrible fear of failing and what the outcome of that might be on our children and ultimately like we say there is no one way so you can't fail you can only parent the child in front of you and they will have their own personality and likes and just all those things and you can only do your best with that with that child that particular child and it's yeah so it's very hard and that's why I always try to sort of say here's what I've done but I'm never saying you should do this because Mm -hmm. you do you like, if you think your child might like this idea because you know your child best, then have a try of it. But if you think, oh, that sounds like his worst nightmare, then d- definitely don't do it. Like, and I always try to really make sure my tone is, I'm doing this. If you want to have a go, then it's an idea. But it's up to you. You, you know, the, the expert on parenting is you because you know your child best. I also wonder if there's, you know, children's, any kind of like, thing that's based in that child's world there often comes this real sort of pious innocence around it because I again I like that on your insta feeds you know you show that like I'm clocking off for the week so here's me sipping what looked like a very nice margarita and I I wonder if you've had that flip side where people are like oh five minute mum you're in the pub are you and you're like yes I am (laughs) actually 
because yeah. this is life. Oh God, yeah, you get all kinds of crazy <laughs> comments from people. I had one woman saying, "Stop!" Uh, I always have a one cocktail on a Friday. I treat myself like that's my mm. thing uh, on a Friday and make myself a different cocktail. Um, it's often a margarita. I do love a margarita, but yeah, it could be anything like fancy on that Friday. Um, and somebody said, "Oh, you're promoting drinking because you can't cope with your children." <laughs> and I was sort of like. I didn't say that at any point. I would I would hate to think that's what you think because that's definitely not what I'm doing. I'm treating myself and celebrating myself. And I think everyone should do that in whatever way you wish, whatever treat you like to give yourself. It doesn't have to be any kind of beverage if you don't want. Um, yeah, so you get often get judgments and people assuming things and guessing things. And I think that's just part of part and parcel of the deal, isn't it? Of putting yourself on some sort of public facing platform. Yeah that that's that's going to come back and people will have their own triggering things or thoughts and agendas and and that's sort of within their right to to say that if they want to well in terms of kind of uh combating some of those attitudes then if you like a cocktail on a friday are you already aware of a sub stack called the spirits by richard godwin no okay in which case i'm going to gift you with this it's free <laughs> but you can also pay and subscribe to it but it's a lovely thing it's uh, again, a writer called Richard Godwin. And, okay. and um, I'll see if we can put the link in the show notes for this as well when we upload it. But he uh, curates a playlist each week. He curates a new cocktail each week and it drops mm-hmm. into your inbox around four or five o'clock on a Friday afternoon. And um, well, it's that's just no good. I'm leathered by then. <laughs> and it will, you know, it's not always alcoholic as well. Sometimes it's non-alcoholic, but it gives you a little background to the history of that cocktail. And it's just a lovely thing. And it's kind of quite, I find it as quite a nice reminder that, oh yeah it's sort of that time I should be trying to wind down my brain and I don't necessarily think of it as a let's get drunk now but just in that you know the week working week is finished let's mm. put my brain into something else and yeah we've used that quite a lot in our house and it's um it's great I, I highly recommend brilliant. that that sounds <laughs> brilliant we went on a um but just me and my husband went away at Christmas how did you manage that <laughs> we do it every Christmas. That's our Christmas present from my parents. We say we want two nights away just after it. We usually do it between Christmas and New Year because that's oh, when nothing's happening. The We're exhausted <laughs> from doing all the Christmas things. Um, so that's our present. And this year we went to uh, like, uh, I don't know what it's called now, Camber Sands that way. Mm. And there was a hotel and they had a little reading nook room, loads, like a library. And you could sit on sofas and they bought you a glass of wine and some crisps at five o'clock every day. And they had on the shelf was a cocktail book from the Savoy from 1920. Wow. And so I sat for ages flicking through this book. And oh my goodness, they must have all been drunk all the time. All the cocktails <laughs> had no mixers whatsoever. It was just like <laughs> just spirits, right? Gin, whiskey, and <laughs> some like sambuca in one glass. And it was called some crazy the old gentleman or something. And they were they must have all just been. <laughs> absolutely annihilated all the time but it was great reading through it because we were like me and my husband were like oh my god listen to that 50% gym 50% vodka I know yeah <laughs> some of it's like in. extreme really hardcore um I'm aware of the timeline. I don't want to kind of keep you longer so just before we get some book recommendations from you I wanted to just go back to what we were saying about your kind of writerly ambition so knowing <laughs> that you kind of wanted to do sports science and journalism and writing and you, you've done some of that already but is there kind of something bubbling in your head, another project that you want to creatively explore within that? Not necessarily for kids, but for you? Um, there's a few things in the back. There's a few, there's always many half-written ideas on my laptop. <laughs> <laughs> so there's lots of different bits and bobs. Um, I've always really loved poetry. Um, I'm a massive fan of panels and I would love to be able to spend the time to sort of write down some of my poems and actually work on them and make them okay. Um, but I don't know whether I'd ever have the luxury of time to do that. So that's something I'd love to do. But I would really like to write some more children's books because I think when you're learning to read as a child and with your child as a parent, some of those books are a bit like they make you want to fling them out the window. And yeah. I would love to try and write some that I think would be fun for the parents to read too and would be fun for the child so when I used to teach I would always try and make it at their level so like if I was teaching them the sound ooh, we'd learn the word poo because for them it was hysterical they couldn't believe a teacher was saying let's write out poo let's draw a big picture of poo and write the ooh inside it 
and you've really got to appeal to their sense of humor at that age and so I'd really love to write some books that were like learning the learning to read sequence of books but actually appeal really appealed to children and were a little bit humorous so I'd probably have to get on board like a comedy writer as well perhaps my friend um, and do them together but yeah that's something that it's bubbling away in the back of my head and then there's a few other adult books I'd love to do as well parenting ones around kind of how there is no magic answer but there are mm-hmm. ideas and here's a really quick way of doing them because nobody's got time to read a whole book on potty training you just want to say tell me the top five tell me the top yeah. five tips I need <laughs> to go and I'll go to Tesco and buy some big stack of laundry detergent <laughs> right let's get your recommendations in books that you've loved books that you'd like us to read can be anything what you got right. for us so i'm very much i love a novel and a story that's great but i really love to know um read about things that have happened that i know have actually happened so um so um i've got sort of three passions in life outside of you know teaching children and all that mm. sort of stuff um and the first one that i had really early on was uh travel I love traveling and love going to new places and seeing new things. Um, when I was younger, I'm not quite so keen now uh, with children. And <laughs> uh, But when I was younger, I loved. And so one of the first books I ever picked up off my mum and dad's bookshelf was a Bill Bryson book called A Walk in the Woods. And it opened me up to Bill Bryson and his travel writing. And I just love his observational humor and you I feel like you're with you with him when you go when you read his books you feel like you're on that journey with him and as things are happening to him like funny quirky things happen that he documents that that happens to you when you travel and you Mm. think did that just did that just really happen did that person just say that to me on that bus or you know did and he you live that with him when you do that and the first one that I've got I've still got it is is a copy of the walk in the woods because that's when he walks the Appalachian Trail or or attempts to and it's like stop start stop start because things go wrong and he's got a friend who seems a bit calamitous and it just opened me up to there's a whole big world out there to discover and and then because he, he's written a book about Britain as well. And so that was really interesting to see. Oh, actually, you could just travel around Britain and find out some really interesting things and go to these really interesting places. And so I've read all of his books now, even the ones on Shakespeare and the home and uh, the body. Weirdly, I read the one about the body um, just before COVID hit. And it talked about how the fact that we're massively overdue a huge pandemic, because in history, if you trace it back, you know, they were every sort of 100, 200 years or whatever he said. And it yeah. was like kind of overdue one. And then it, when it happened, I was like, oh my God, I feel like. He, yeah because he's so detailed in his research so I love Bill Bryson I love everything he writes but Walk in the Woods was my first one so that was uh, my first one uh my second one is my second passion after sort of we're traveling was food love food everything about restaurants and food and I read um Ruth Reichel's book called Garlic and Sapphires and it's the secret life of a food critic I've read that so good have you read that too yeah I love like I love as Phil knows I read cookbooks I love cookbooks I love writing about food I love those kind of books so yeah the Reese Reichel one it's so good it's so good isn't it and I love how it's a it's a story about food but it's also about people because she has all those disguises and it and she talks about how she takes so because she's such a well-known food critic she goes into she writes for the is it the New York New Yorker the New York Times it's a really prestigious there's, um, I'm looking at now. I can't remember because I think the magazine she works for is closed now. Was it Bon Appetit? Did she work for, or was it Food and Wine? Anyway, yeah, uh, yeah, that's where she starts, and then she goes to the New York Times as their critic, which is like one of the most prestigious jobs in, you know, food critic world. And but she can't be; she doesn't want to be seen in the restaurant, so she has all these disguises, and it's kind of how she takes on these personalities when she goes into these restaurants and how that unravels, and and it's just absolutely fascinating. And in it are recipes and recommendations and one of the recipes that she has in it for carbonara I still cook to this day so it's been 20 years since I read it <laughs> I still I'm still there whenever probably not quite 20 but yeah um whenever she bought it out and I'm, I'm still cooking that carbonara for my kids now and they love it so, so what's that called garlic and sapphires right and it's, it's yeah, really the, good and the, the magazine that Ruth Reichel worked for was gourmet which was an American food magazine that I used to buy um, and doesn't exist anymore, but it was really good. Um, but yeah, Ruth Reichel uh, is spelt, her surname is R-E-I-C-H-L. Yeah, that's the one. 
Uh, yeah, because I and at the time I was living in London and going to lots of restaurants and I was reading. I used to read like um, Rena O'Loughlin in the in the Metro or whoever, mm-hmm. and Giles Corrin in the Times. And read there. I used to love reading their scathing reviews of some of the restaurants. <laughs> so I particularly <laughs> like the bits in the book where she sort of pulls up a big restaurant on something that they've done wrong, and you're like, yes, <laughs> really interesting to see how that sort of unfolds and her her toying with the idea of what to say and what not to say within print it's really mm-hmm. yeah fascinating so that's my second one I'm really sorry I've got three <laughs> and I struggle don't with, apologize it's I good almost on the cusp of saying I love May Angelou um I know why the caged bird sings her first book about her life I love that book and I love poetry so I love Milk and Honey by Rupi Korkar I don't know how you say her surname because I've only ever seen it written down um but my third recommendation is um one that I've read very recently and it's my latest passion which is gardening I'm obsessed with gardening I've had my garden recently landscaped and bought a greenhouse it is where I am every day <laughs> all day the kids know where to find me mum is in the greenhouse um and I just absolutely took to it after I became a parent and I I had no interest before no hadn't grown anything I killed pretty much everything that came within 10 feet of me that was green and all of a sudden <laughs> I took to gardening like hip middle age and boom that was me what's Monty Don saying watching Gardener's World and I didn't really know why and this book is The Well-Gardened Mind by Sue Stewart-Smith and it's about the psychology behind why we garden why we're interested in nature why we're drawn to it at certain times in our life and it's called Rediscovering Nature in a Modern World and she talks about people who gardened through the first world war in the trenches people who have gardened when they've come out of prison and how it can change their life and set them on a different course people who are going through um really difficult illnesses and how the impact that being in nature or being outside or gardening can have on them and motherhood and things that change you and change you know how you see the world aging how that affects you and how nature comes and it's she talks about it from a psychological perspective which is so fascinating and interest and there were just bits in it I just went oh like that through the pages where you go oh my god like it's just like a revelatory moment and it's not just for gardeners it's it's anyone who's interested in going for a walk in the woods or being in mm. nature or mm. mental health and why do I sometimes feel so pent up and yet if I go outside for a walk I feel so much better and the psychology behind that and why we are and it's our ancestral path and evolution and what's brought us here and it's all of those things in one brilliantly written book and for me as somebody who's um yeah obsessed with growing things <laughs> and currently has a, a garden of things growing and that I check on daily um I found it really really fascinating so again remind us of the title of that one so it's called the well-gardened mind right. and it's by Sue Stewart Smith so it's a double-barreled surname making a um, note yeah well we all need that don't we we all need some <laughs> mental well-being yeah especially when we're raising also, kids um, uh i'll leave you with one other gift of a book too which is um maya angelou did a cookbook as well um yeah it's called uh i just looked it up because i got it on my shelf it's hallelujah the welcome table a lifetime of memories with recipes um it's quite meaty i don't eat meat uh but i you can always adapt recipes but again it's a really lovely cookbook that she did with lots of stories and where the recipes came from and how they fit into her life so if you want some more Maya Angelou in your life I recommend that one too oh, yes please that sounds great yeah I'll put that <laughs> on, my, uh, on my Christmas list that's always my Christmas list so just can Me I have too. Books, please <laughs> books in two days away yeah, yeah. that's what you need. Nice. yeah yeah uh, we've loved having you on Daisy thanks for coming on I really appreciate it uh, I, I really mean what I say, you know, it's kind of you've worked wonders in our house and we're, we'll be forever grateful for your books and the, the respite that they've given us from the kids just for a few minutes and the joy that you brought to the children as well, you know, because it's it's really nice and we can set them up and then we can kind of retreat a little bit like from an unexploded World War II bomb, you know, you just retreat and then watch <laughs> while it goes off in the men- middle of the lounge, but it's great. So thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure talking to you both. I'm really glad you picked up there on the fact that she's a rock star in certain <laughs> households because she really yeah. I wasn't just saying that to be nice to our guests she really is in our house you know mm. our kids I mean they were so excited when this new book came and the youngest in particular wants to 
try out a couple of the games as soon as he gets home from school this afternoon, which is really cool. And he's of that age, as I mentioned in the thing, where he's going to start full-time at reception in September. But I think like you said before the episode, it doesn't really matter what age your kids are because there's some just some really interesting psychological yeah. insights there into parenting and also into kind of just uh, sometimes I think, well, certainly I do, I'm guilty of putting too much pressure on myself to create the best day for them. And yes. actually, as my other half pointed out, some of their best days are just in our front garden. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You don't have to do the big, right, get in the car, go somewhere cool, spend a lot of money on entrance fees. You don't have to do that. No. You can just, they all they really want is your time, right? Yes. Yeah, no, it's true. Um, sorry, I was drifting off a little bit because uh, I remembered that my sister, so she works in a nursery and preschool within a school. So um, I should have spoken to her before doing this and, and sort of seen if there are any particular questions I could have asked uh, Daisy on her behalf. But I'm going to send her the book anyway, and I know that she'll find it really useful in her classroom too. But yeah, no, I think exactly that. It's, um, it's really hard to predict though, parenting though, and, and kids and I know with still actually with both of mine even though they're older now if they if I can get them in the garden they will have a blast like if the weather's good they'll just like still make up games and run around but sometimes it's being able to kind of get them into the garden in the first place to do that once they're there yeah, they're yeah, fine yeah, but it's kind yeah. of like pushing them out the door type thing but um yeah no I've you know as we said before I really enjoyed chatting to Daisy and you know I really hope she does her poetry too I'd really like to to read that because poetry is still something that feels so underrepresented and you know we haven't spoken to any poets on here at all we should probably address that because well, i tried i did try <laughs> i did try to speak to brian bilston yeah he's a bit elusive um uh has many things going on i'm sure but yeah there's something that poetry does again i think the way that it works in your brain that's just makes you think in a slightly different way and opens things up creatively and yeah. going back to the kids i'm now reading spike milligan's poetry to mm. the kids at bedtime mm -hmm, and they mm -hmm. request it and it's it's not just i mean they are funny they're really funny these poems i'm sure you remember you know yeah. but it's it's the rhythm of them yes. and the meter of them and it it's each way you can read them a slightly different way it gives the kids a different way of interpreting them which i think is another key skill as well because there are if you hand a book like if you and i both did bedtime together You'd read the book slightly Hang differently to how <laughs> I would read it. I was keeping it innocent. You took it, yeah. Mucky. No, I didn't. Um, you know what I mean? And I think it's really interesting because often, you know, one of the skills that you and I both have then in our day jobs is sight reading. We will mm -hmm, often mm -hmm. sight read scripts. Yeah. And if you can't do that and you can't get the intonation and inflection right, you're stuffed. Yes, it's true. And I always really liked that about reading kids' books. But I think you're right to kind of make that connection between obviously really good poetry and I loved when I was a kid my um mum had bought a, a, po a poem a day it was like 365 days of the year and there were some brilliant Christina Rossetti poems in there and once you get the rise and fall and the lyricism of really good poems written for children written at that age then as an adult when you start to read don't get me wrong, there are some great kids' books out there but some of them are just so bad so badly written and like the the rhythms off and it just mm. drives me insane when you're yeah, kind of same. reading that you're thing reading you're like out. you're missing a beat you're yeah. missing a beat yeah. why didn't nobody pick up on that um yeah so it's it's great poetry is good we will uh address that at some point soon so we'll find a poet uh maybe a poet called sophie who would like to buy us a coffee on oh cove teed you up with the poetry rhyme and still it went wrong did. my brain was like oh i'm never gonna get it right now kofi k-o hyphen yeah fi.com yeah. kofi.com there you go slash bestsellers podcast if you'd like to buy us a brew and help to keep natalie in something or other <laughs> in a cocktail ingredients to keep yeah. her brain functioning at some kind of semi uh average level yeah is that what it is is it the um lubrication required to keep the cogs turning uh well sometimes i think there's just too much going on in my brain again mm. i'm not going to go down one of these rabbit holes with you young phil williams but um yeah sometimes <laughs> if i sound like a bit distracted it's not because i've spaced out it's because there's too many things pinging in my brain going should i do mm. that about i saw um, russell howard once live and he yeah. said on stage uh, it sounds like what you're describing he said that he's got all these um sentences in his head 
mm-hmm. leaping around. And they're all yes. going, pick me, pick me, say me, yeah, pick me, pick me. And then he the picks one time. and then the other's all really gutted. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what's going yeah. on with you? Yeah, are they, that's exactly are yours what it's like in my brain. Are they things? Yeah, so many ideas yeah. the whole time. Yeah, do always. Do you keep a notebook on you? Mm, I do. And I write them down and I've got loads of things in notes on my phone. Um, some of them are nonsense. Many of them are nonsense. Oh, of uh, yeah, quite often. And, and it's really useful, actually. So when I am write, writing, I go back to those and they tend to be quite a good prompt um, to then fire my brain off in whatever direction was the pick me sentence at that moment. I'm going to tell you a quick cocktail story before we go. Okay. Um, I had a rare lunch out yesterday with Mrs. W and it was just the two of us. It was bliss. And it was the place that do good cocktails. Mm. And so we we dived in. And, oh, um, at lunchtime. Yeah. Get you. So, so the one I had was um molotov right <laughs> so so cool because it arrives on fire there's mm-hmm. um it looks like a little pomegranate or something and they somehow they dip it in alcohol and they set fire to it so it's like yeah. there's all these flames are whistling up right i'm a bit offended by the name i'm not gonna lie but i'm enjoying the cocktail story <laughs> okay so um obviously there's lots of clues there the name's a clue there's a visual clue you can see it on fire right uh-huh. and it comes with a straw and i said to our waitress Obviously, um, I can't dip into that right now, can I? So it'll take my eyebrows off. She went, no, but it shouldn't be a light for long. But it was a light for quite a long time, right? So I kept <laughs> testing it with um, the stack that they put in the burger. So you know the wooden kind of prong yeah, that goes yeah. kimchi burger intact? I'd pulled yeah. that out, and I kept putting that through and, and testing it to make sure it had gone out. And then I safely, right? The reason I'm telling you all of this is because she said, that two days prior to this, she'd served the guy with a big beard who didn't do that and didn't test it and just went straight for it. And this thing set fire to his beard. And then she said, and I said, what happened? And she said, so he grabs his own beard and puts it out, right, with his hand. Yeah. But then eventually his beard just crackles. So the hair is still <laughs> attached to his face, right? But it's just like crisps. <laughs> Or like when you do oven chips too long and they burn. It's just like that. So he's got like crinkles coming out of his chin. And I suspect the only way to get rid of that is to shave it off. He'll have to start again. And apparently it was a full-on ZZ top beard. Wow. Wow. I thought you'd like that. Yeah, I do like that. It's also like a safety burst at all times. Um, I'm not setting fire to any of my cocktails, thanks. Uh, But yeah, great. Um, (laughs) I hope you've enjoyed this one uh, with or without some kind of alcoholic or non-alcoholic beverage. And yeah, on to some more books next. (laughs) 